Hey St. John, welcome to the Post Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey Deaconess. How are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm doing well. Today we will be discussing your sermon from this past Sunday. So tell me, what was the text that you preached on? Uh, this is one of the All Saints Day readings. So it was the first one, which is from Revelation chapter 7. And I just love this reading. It's talking about the great multitude that no one could number that John sees in his vision from all tribes and peoples and nations and languages. And these are the ones clothed in white robes, their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's just a, a beautiful picture of the last day, of the restoration of all things. Yeah, can we actually talk about the significance real quick of verse 4, how there's 12,000 people from each tribe? I was just thinking Jehovah's Witnesses take that number, 144,000, literally. So can you tell us like what John is saying in that verse? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't studied Revelation as, as fully as I could have, uh, but one of the tricky parts of Revelation is to be careful of as soon as you start taking one detail literally, don't you have to take all the other details literally, or, or how do you deal with this? And so some cautions as we read Revelation are to keep your eyes on Jesus. And here in the reading we have the lamb that was slain is on the throne. And so we keep our eyes on Jesus that way, that this is what it's all about. But as we know throughout Scripture, we have the 12 sons of Israel, and you have this 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, the sort of census of all of them. And it's almost a sort of complete number. We think about the 12 disciples of Jesus, right? This new Israel, these new tribes. Um, I think it's just a sort of way of saying of everything is being completed and everything is being put right and one of the immediate ways to challenge this idea of 144,000 being like the for sure saved or this kind of greater collection of elect people that like you mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses might do is to keep just reading the text. And you jump to verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Yes, and then it says from every nation. So now we're getting outside of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Right, right. And so again... Anytime someone tries to say, here's this really specific concrete detail from Revelation, therefore it means these things, you got to be careful because you should just let the other dominoes fall. If you can take this detail, then what about this detail? What about this detail? Rather than, Revelation is meant to be a book of comfort. Keep your eyes on the Lamb. Keep your eyes on Christ. And we see how God is making all things new. So that's just some kind of general guardrails or cautions as we read Revelation Uh, Be mindful of how closely do you lean into the details and try to concretize them for current events and whatnot. What was the central teaching of your sermon? Oh, the central teaching of the sermon is that Christ leads us Christians. And I really loved like how you did this in your sermon because you were talking about the blind leading the blind. Yep, right. Uh, Matthew 15 reference, that's where it comes up is uh, Jesus mentions uh, the Pharisees and scribes, like the blind leading the blind. And then you proceeded to show us these different images of the blind leading the blind. A while ago, I stumbled across a number of pieces of art and cool images that kind of just have explore this idea and, and, and invite us to reflect on what Jesus is saying here. And I wanted to tie that into Revelation 7, especially just the nature of All Saints Day. Uh, we think about our loved ones in the faith who have died. And... Here we are again reading another list of names. And it just kind of compounds year after year. 
we think about the centuries that have passed since Jesus ascended into heaven, you know, is he going to come back? And that sort of kind of nagging feeling of, is this all not real or a sort of hoax? Or are we just kind of lying to ourselves and trying to say some comforting things about Jesus, but maybe they're not true? And so those are some of the undergirding ideas that I was thinking about to tie in these images, to tie into the Revelation 7 reading that our faith is not the blind leading the blind. And we don't believe a lie. Christ is still risen. And thankfully, Jesus sees. Right, that Our faith is not based upon the preachers. Our faith is not based upon the saints. Our faith is based upon Christ himself who leads all of us safely to the promised land of the new creation. And so that's kind of the general idea of the sermon was going from uh, this idea of blindly in the blind to our Christ who sees us, our Christ who sees the way forward. You know, when you were talking, I didn't really think of this during the sermon, but I'm thinking, sorry, but I'm thinking of it now and I think it relates. So we are coming to Advent and to Christmas and especially in the season of Christmas, we really have the theme of, of light, of Jesus is the light of the world, right? He's breaking into the darkness. And I mean, I don't know, that just kind of makes me think of what you're saying as well, is like, without Christ, we're very much blind, stuck in the darkness, right? Um, and then what do we do Christmas Eve with like the candles and just this, the the baptismal candles lit and just this light is bursting forth and we are able to see because of him. So, so I don't know. I just like what you said, and I think there's some really cool, I don't know if that's something you thought of, like just where we are in the church here right now, um, but I think it definitely relates well. I don't know if I was going to Advent and whatnot, but your, your connections are, are totally cool. Uh, I was thinking about you know Matthew 4. We get the Matthew's quoting Isaiah saying, Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so you're just highlighting it's a, a prevalent theme in Scripture and in the church here of uh, this light that shines in the darkness that we actually get to see. You know, it's a big deal that Jesus can actually open the eyes of the blind. Uh, I think of John 9, you have the, the blind man who's healed, and he kind of puts it to the, the leadership who are critiquing him and asking questions and all this, and he's like, do you know of anyone else who's opened the eyes of the blind? And it's one of those kind of curious facts that in the Old Testament, you don't have anyone who's healed from blindness, and now all of a sudden, this man is. And so, yeah, this is a cool theme. We see it reflected elsewhere in the church year. And so I guess your church year point is just, I was just thinking All Saints Day itself and did our brothers and sisters in the faith, our fathers and mothers in the faith, were they foolish in their endeavor to follow this Christ? Are we who are still alive foolish in this endeavor? The answer is no, because we have Christ and he leads us. I think one other place I was thinking of in scripture and, and maybe not light and darkness but a challenge of seeing further than the present reality of things. I think of like the Israelites on the Exodus, right? Ten plagues have happened. Pharaoh finally says, I'll let the people go. And they reach the sea, and their backs are to the sea, and now Pharaoh changes his heart once again, and the people are in panic, right? And Moses intercedes with the people, and you get that response that they only need to be still. I mean, 
God is going to fight for them. And they had no way of seeing what that will look like, especially in the parting of the sea and, and all this. Again and again, God's people, we don't get to see as far ahead as we like, but we continue to trust our God who sees all the way through. And it's just a, it's an ongoing biblical theme. Yeah, that's a really cool connection too. I'm glad you brought that up with the Exodus. How did you intend to benefit your hearers in their faith or life? I think there's two ideas. One is just to offer a place of encouragement to not despair, to not lose heart. Here we are again, All Saints Day, another list of names. But everything really is going to be okay in Christ. So it's, it's meant to be a word of encouragement. And I think the other is to uh, direct our people away from the world's sort of immortalization of the self and how we try to, in the face of death, try to give ourselves an eternality that's uh, not really eternal and to not get so caught up in those sorts of things or to kind of qualify as we go about our work and our vocations and maybe how we're remembered and whatnot. Those all need to still be in service to Christ and the reality that God is bringing about through through Jesus. Yeah, no, I like that. We don't want to lose heart when we see all the names that's in, in the bulletin for All Saints Day. Um, and kind of like what you said about earlier about God seeing things in the much bigger way than we can ever see things. Um, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this, and I think this is why we have to be reminded Sunday after Sunday, and then especially on days like All Saints Day, like each one of these saints' deaths is a culmination of their baptism, that it's an entrance into that eternal life. And yes, I mean, they had eternal life when they were baptized, and just now they're, they're with Jesus awaiting awaiting their own resurrections, um, which they can see in a fuller way than, than we can see right now on earth. But to hear that, hear that message being proclaimed to us each week, I think is just really good and comforting and, and gives us hope from outside ourselves because we're not going to always remember that in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, and what you bring up here about baptism and remembering our loved ones, I mean, this is why All Saints Day is such a special day in the church year. And as we near the, the last days and the last Sunday, we think of the return of Christ. You know, I, I like the, the placement of this feast day. And um, as it just thinks about um, the return of Jesus, but you already mentioned Advent, you know, we're heading into a, a time of the year that's often very challenging in the midst of grieving. And so it's this, um, this rush of gospel comfort. And I don't know, I've, I've really like the All Saints Day service each year and um, what, what it provides, its placement, um, all of it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's great. And, you know, it's really interesting too because like in our culture, Halloween always dominates, right? And so, or even thinking like in the Hispanic culture with like Day of the Dead is this time as well. Um, and so we can kind of see like these competing thoughts of how to look at death or how we, is it okay that I'm saying this with Halloween? But there's yeah, that. No, yeah, it's, I, okay. it's just like a, almost a celebration of death or yeah. a, a, a cheesing of it. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying like everyone's looking at Halloween in that way, you know. Um, I mean, I think trick-or-treating is so much fun. But I'm just saying like, it's just interesting to see. I, I'm sure we're all familiar, I mean, with like 
haunted houses are really big and just this we we tend to think about death a lot more this time of year with just what yeah. we are doing culturally right. so i think it is really a reminder of our mortality or yeah something yeah, like that, that what, um, what it means to be afraid right? exactly yeah. so then to be able to like come to church and observe all saints day and like just i don't know to get our focus back to what all this really means and not get distracted by other things I right. guess that's just what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, and that the ending of the story is good. It is way more good that we can could hope for, and uh, it's not a lie that we're following. I have a here's some other question. What can we say to people suffering the loss of a loved one who was not a believer? That's a tough one. Yeah, that that's a, a heavy question for sure. Yeah, we talked about this question a little bit before the recording, Deaconess. And we're going to try to give some contours of answers. And I think one of the tough parts is I wish, you know, we could talk a little bit more uh, with the person who wrote this down. So please, you know, if you're listening, you know, pull us aside and we'd be glad to talk more specifically to, you know, the question of the why behind that question too. Right. We're saying it's a little difficult because we don't know what the question is behind the question or, or where the person's coming from. Um, cause this can be a very sensitive topic for, you know, a lot of people. Right. And so our hope here is to, I said, kind of give some contours of answers, um, and address the question and think through it in a few different ways. And so I guess we just ask even the listeners who didn't ask the question, but may have wondered it kind of journey with us through it as well. So, uh, where should we start Deaconess? Well, I think something we had talked about was, just naming the pain aloud like saying this is this is sad and this isn't isn't good and we know death wasn't supposed to be here and it it, it's hard to and then when we don't think that they had had faith in christ it's it's hard to find find that comfort right that hope so i think just being able to say that out loud and recognizing that is is a good thing right like it's important yeah, I think especially as Christians, we can have this discomfort with uncomfortable things. Yes. And, you know, we confess each week in the creed that Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. You know, as much as we think about All Saints Day and the comforting image of Revelation 7, you know, there's also the the themes of judgment are coming. You know, we'll see the readings in these, in these last weeks of the church year. And this is part of uh, the the pain that comes with the gospel is that there are those who are saved and those who are not. And so I, I like this idea of starting with just acknowledging that there is that pain and not, and is not a pain that is felt alone or only by some Christians. I mean, every Christian thinks about this question in one way or the other, right? We're going to sit at, at meals with with family members and friends, they were heading into the the holidays of the year, and these sorts of ideas are on our mind too. And so, how do I how do I talk about this now, or can I, or you know, is it just a, a such a taboo thing that we can't even lean into discussions of the faith? And so, that pain is is certainly felt, and it's always felt by Christians. Uh, we have been called out of darkness and into marvelous light, as Peter mentions, or even our baptism liturgy mentions this sort of thing too. And so some of it is to say that you're not alone in this sort of question. 
and that we all wrestle with it in different forms and and to different degrees at at points of our lives and in the year too. And so we just kind of wanted to name the pain aloud and commiserate a little bit with that. And then I think something else um, that I think might be good for you to mention is you were talking about um, sometimes you may be talking to a grieving family at a funeral where maybe the faith of that person was in question. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. And I think this is often a move that we run to when we first deal with the question, which is why we wanted to name the pain aloud and actually just let the pain be the pain and not so quickly run to a solution or an answer. Can we try to tile in all this thing? Um, But there are times uh, when like a funeral home might reach out to me and say, hey, uh, we had um, a death and the family is looking for a pastor to perform a service and you might not know these people and you know, this person wasn't in church or, you know, this sort of thing. And would I be available to help? And, and sometimes I am able to. And um, I've, I've done services like this over at the funeral home. And so in that moment, what, what do you say? Especially someone I just, I just don't know, family I've never met. And yet we're pulled together in this time. And what do you do in terms of proclaiming the gospel in that moment? I think one temptation is to try to preach the person into heaven after death. And I don't know if that's a, a right way to go about it. And if for a few reasons, one is we are to leave these matters in God's hands entirely. And even, and again, context behind the question, who's asking it or, you know, or any of us who are asking it, we do leave these matters into God's hands as well and you know the heart of the person you know that sort of thing is all fair to consider and all fair to make sure we kind of qualify our worry and our fear as well and yeah uh, death is very much a a final thing and uh, a funeral sermon is not going to change those things only only god can so that's one matter is i I try not to give into that temptation of preaching the person into heaven but rather I'm tasked with looking at the actual living people in front of me and what do we say to them in that moment. And so I guess I'll kind of speak to that. That's all right, Deaconess? Yeah, I really like that distinction you make there. And so typically um, in those sorts of situations, I will speak about that when we look around at the world, we all know within us that things just aren't right. Things are not the way that they should be. And we all just kind of inherently know this within our being. And I'm just sort of appealing to the realities of our createdness as creatures that we were created good, uh, very good. This world is good, very good. And yet it's, it's not good. It is also broken and corrupted and disordered. And we all just kind of know that. And so part of that is just to appeal to that reality within all of us, and that we can see and feel, let alone the fact that here we are in a funeral home and there's a, there's a body in the front of the room, and we know this is not good, no matter how much we try to soften it or speak uh, weird positive aphorisms, this is not good. And then I try to, in my funeral message, direct us towards the God who will put things right. And so I'll often go to like a, like a Romans 8 sort of place about the creation is in futility, the creation is groaning, the not goodness of this. And we have a God who will put things right and is doing so 
is doing so actively through his son who is crucified and risen from the dead. And that this is this is the Christian hope and that's what we have that our God will put things right and restore and mend what is broken, reorder what has been scattered. Why I take those calls from funeral homes and when it works out for me to go and lead a service like that for folks that you know, are sort of church adjacent or have not been in church for a long time or just are out and out not Christian, is I get to proclaim the hope we have in Christ because that's all we have at the end of the day. And to trust that God works through preaching, the Spirit calls by the gospel. And that's how it is for all Christians. You know, we think of, of Paul Right, um, First Corinthians fifteen is great resurrection chapter, and that we are, we are not people to be pitied because Christ is risen. Um, that those who have died in the faith are not lost. Um, he's preaching to converts, people who have converted away from their family religion and their family faith, and there's all that sort of angst and tension there, and, and those Corinthian Christians are asking this same sort of question too. And all that we can do as Christians is point to the God who will put things right and will do so through his son, Jesus. Uh, that's, that's one way as I think about preaching the gospel in those moments. Yeah, I like that, preaching the gospel to the family that's there. I guess circling back to that question, can you read that question again just so we yeah. didn't, didn't lose uh, sight of it? What can we say to people suffering the loss of a loved one who is not a believer? As much as we want to try to fix or solve or redo the math to show whatever about the person, because that is our temptation. Our first response is to acknowledge the pain of that question. And the second sort of thing is to speak into, we have the God who will put things right in his, his good and right purposes. And we have to leave it to that. And I think there's a, a final sort of answer we were talking about. Deaconess, what was that again? Uh, we have written down Romans 9 through 11. Yeah, Romans chapter 9 through 11. Uh, these are heavy-duty chapters in Scripture. So I already mentioned so Romans. So talking about election. Yeah, talking about election. So I mentioned Romans 8, right? The creation waiting in frustration and and groaning and waiting for the redemption of our bodies. You get the great you know verse that God works all things, you know, according to his purpose, right? Um, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. You know, these, these beautiful proclamations of gospel. And then the letter of Romans takes a hard shift dealing with the topic of election and predestination and all that. And Paul is sort of talking aloud. Right? Paul is a Jew by birth. Right? He's a descendant of Abraham, tribe of Benjamin. He's come to faith in Christ. I mean, Jesus quite literally took hold of Paul. Well, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And baptized him into the faith. And yet there are many uh, of Paul's kin who do not believe. I mean, this is the apostle preaching to them, right? He would go into the synagogue in each town and preach the gospel first in the synagogue, right? First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles, Romans 1.16 talks about. And yet there's still many of his brothers and sisters by blood, his kin by blood, who do not believe that the blood of Jesus saves and it hurts Paul. And I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to direct maybe our eyes to Romans. Paul is cautioning Christians not to be treating uh, 
their sins or their presumptuousness lightly, that we can just as easily be removed by our our sins and our unbelief, and uh, just as the Gentiles are grafted in. But you also get to hear Paul uh, speak in language of, if only I could trade places, I would. I mean, Paul, the apostle, feels this sort of pain. He gets the depth of the pain that's behind a question like this, too. So again, I I think there's something to sort of uh, commiserate together, to share this pain together. And how Paul eventually just sort of throws his hands up and just, we got to leave this in the hands of God. So again, I'm I'm mentioning, we mentioned Romans 9 through 11. And so chapter 11 is where he's going to throw up his hands and just kind of leave these things in God's hands. But the reason why I want to bring up the whole unit is um, chapter 9, listen to this shift of tone. Chapter 8 ends with, right, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. I mean, just awesome gospel proclamation. Very, very common funeral text is Romans chapter 8, right? Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I, w- for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. I mean, Paul, if I could just trade places, I would. I think as Christians, we all have someone in our lives that we think about, if I could just trade places, I wish we could. I mean, the apostle himself thinks this way too. But as Paul says at the beginning of chapter 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. Verse 6, he says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. Right? There are those who believe. We do gather together with the saints. God is accomplishing his good purposes. It's not the end of the story, comma, yet. And Paul kind of works through this question over the course of these three chapters. And by the end of it, uh, chapter 11, Paul says in verse 32, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has been given a gift to, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so Paul here is speaking of the pain, acknowledging that we have the God who will put things right, but he's not going to push these things further than he can either. And, And if Paul can't do that, Deaconess, we can't either. Yeah, I was just going to point out, well, you read it, but I really like how he ends, or how chapter 11 ends, 33 through 36, what you just read, how Paul is praising God and mentioning how unsearchable his judgments are and untraceable his ways, um, and just giving him the glory, even in spite of the sorrow that Paul has in his heart. So that's pretty cool, just to see that faith. Right, and, and part of the reason why we appreciate this question is it just gets right to the heart of the gospel. It gets right to the heart of our God who is putting things right. And there is a lot of mystery, and we're not at the end of the story yet. So we acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge our God who will put things right. 
And we don't try to say more than we are allowed to say. And, and so to our brother or sister who wrote that question, uh, we hurt with you too. And so does Paul. To our other listeners who have hurt uh, and memories brought about by this question in our conversation here, we're the family of God together for a reason. And so uh, we anticipate this might bring up more questions and conversation. And please, you know, pull Deaconess, pull me aside, um, and let's, let's continue to contend for this faith that we have in Christ and, and all that's entailed in it. Yeah. I think that was very well said. Well, this wraps up the episode for today. Thank you for listening to our discussion. In case you missed the sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon's in the show notes. Can you also put the images in the show notes? Yeah, I will throw a link to the first image and then the last image. Uh, the middle one, uh, I, I can see which artist wrote it, but I can't find a good website to kind of ground where the artist made it. And so I don't just want to, I don't know. Gotcha, that's yeah. fine. First yeah. and third image will be in the show notes. You can also find the sermon on our church website, stjohndublin.org. If you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Well, thanks, Deaconess. Uh, we have our Christ who leads us all the way. All right. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye, all.